My name is Alan Kay, and I'd like to start with just a moment of silence prayer just to kind of get my head on straight. Bear with me. Amen. Okay. Let me start with saying that uh, I have been abstinent 18 months, two weeks, as tomorrow. And I've released so far 279 pounds. And I say that be- released rather than lost because I've lost weight before, but it always comes back and it brings friends. My idea is that it's released, it's out there in the wild, somebody else can hunt it down if they want it, or else they can just keep running free. I don't want it back. And I always pick a theme for my sharing, and the theme I, ch- I choose is hope. Hold on to the pain ends. Now, I came from a family of compulsive overeaters, an Italian-Jewish family, and uh, if you have any idea what that family was like, let me tell you a little bit about what it was like there. I was the firstborn male grandchild. I was born on my grandmother's birthday, and I was named after my great-uncle Abe, the only uh, sibling of my grandmother that died in the concentration camps. So you can pretty much guess that from the day I, I came into, was born, I had it made in the shade. My grandparents, my great uncles pretty much raised me, and they loved to spoil me. And food in an Italian-Jewish family is love, and I was well-loved. I never had to worry about stealing food, taking food, hiding food. If I wanted it, it was there. You know, they never thought anything about it. My grandma was one of those people, if you came over to the house, She'd offer, automatically offer you food, and if you didn't want to eat it, she'd say, you know, you need to eat it because I'm going to tell everybody you did anyway, and you don't want to make a liar out of me. And all growing up, I was the apple in my grandmother's eye. I could do no wrong. Um, lost my track. Okay. Apple in my grandmother's eye. Um, we were inseparable. And uh, she gave, my parents gave me my English name, which is Alan Drew. And my grandparents gave me my Hebrew name, which is, I was named it among, after my uncle Abi, Avraham Daniel Ben Davida Kohen. And there'll be a quiz on that later, just in case you didn't, and make sure you're listening. Which is basically in English, Abraham Danielson of David the Priest, because they come from the line of Aaron. And the day I was born, my grandmother started two bank accounts. One for my bar mitzvah when I was 13, and the other one should have been for my wedding, which is about when I was 21. Now, I don't know if she, I knew she had the bar mitzvah planned out in detail. I'm not so sure about the wedding, but I can tell you that when I was 12 years old, she sent me out on my first date to see the movie Love Story with a girl next door that we used to play together on a back porch. So I can't guarantee she had anything planned, but there's a good chance she did. Well, all growing up, I was the apple of their eye. Suddenly, though, when I was 12 years old, my grandmother passed away. And my grandfather within a year. And I was left with my parents, who didn't know how to be parents. Um, my uh, mother was addicted to uh, prescription pain medicine and was just very absent. And my dad became a child abuser. And I won't go into details, let's just say he covered all the bases. Verbal, physical, sexual, you name it. And I went from being, uh, everything being wonderful, 
to my life falling apart. Actually, you can probably think of my story as the good, the bad, the ugly, and then the miracle. Well, my my parents did did what they could, I guess. I don't know. When When I was 17, I finished high school early, and we moved down to Miami to start again. And, of course, they said, things will be different, things will be different. Well, of course, you can't run for those kind of problems. And uh, a month before my 18th birthday, something happened that helped me make a decision of what to do. I was working at the time in a factory. Um, I speak fluent Hebrew because I was trained to be a rabbi, but uh, really it's hard to get a job speaking Hebrew. So uh, I was working in a factory temporarily, and uh, my mom and dad were having an argument And my dad was smashing a hard plastic cup on my mother's head. Not unusual. He'd broken the ribs and other things before. But what was unusual was my reaction. Next thing I know, he's down on the bed with my hands around his throat, choking him. And I was bleeding from my forehead to my arm. And I don't know how that happened. I assume he did it, but I must have blanked. But as soon as I realized what I was doing, I let go and ran out hysterical saying I'd never, because I swore I'd never be like my dad. And here I was doing something like him. So three days for my 18th birthday, I got a paycheck, and I snuck out of the house. And one of the signs that I'm at the over read, I'll tell you, is what I brought with me. Everybody was sound asleep. I had to go, or else I might not have gotten out with both legs and one piece. I grabbed some clothes, a few essentials, and I had to go and get my muffin tin. I made really good muffins, and I liked eating them. So I had to take my muffin tin with me. If that's not a sign of a compulsive overeater, I don't know what is. Well, I moved out on my own, and I started working. And uh, when I was about 19, I was coming home from waddling home from work one day. And somebody, as a joke, called me Baby Huey. And I don't know how many of you remember who Baby Huey was. But he was a, like a six-foot-tall baby duck, tiny bonnet, giant diaper. And for me, it was a straw to break the camel's back. And I went home and took a knife to my wrist and tried to commit suicide. Fortunately, God made me a coward, which I'm very grateful now for. Or I wouldn't be here. But back then, I only hated myself more because I couldn't commit suicide right. Well, over the next year or so, I got a job working in an Italian restaurant, just helping out in the kitchen. And within a year, they were training me to be a head chef. Who knew that, uh, you know, compulsive overeaters would be good with food? You know, surprise, surprise. I had a knack for it. They used to say I could make dirt taste good. And when I was working at the restaurant, I went on my one and only official diet. I heard about a doctor that uh, did the cookie diet. I mean, it couldn't be that bad. You got cookies. Two cookies for breakfast, two cookies for lunch, and I'm supposed to eat a moderate dinner. Like, if I knew what a moderate meal was in the first place, I wouldn't have been going to the the diet doctor. Well, you know, the first couple of weeks, it worked great. Then you can pretty much guess I was eating all the cookies in the first couple of days, and I started gaining weight. 
But the craziest thing that happened during that time was working at the restaurant, one of the chefs I worked that worked under me thought it'd be funny to hide one of my cookies. Well, this is in Miami, Florida. Middle of the dinner rush, the place was packed. People were waiting at the door to be seated. And he stole my cookie. No one takes my cookie. I ran out in the middle of the dining hall, wanting the owner to come right that moment, screaming for him to come fire him because he stole my cookie. Now, if that isn't insane, I don't know what is. He gave it back. We worked it out. It was okay. But when I was working there, one of the waitresses I worked with was a friend of Bill. And she was determined to get me to go at OA. I finally agreed to go to a meeting. She was, I didn't have much of a choice, to be honest. It was right down the street from my house. I really didn't want to go. I got there. The lights were out. The place was dark. Everything was locked up. And I thought, yes. <laughs> I kept my work, not can go home. Well, this dear little lady pulled up in a car. I don't even think she turned the engine off. Jumped out, put her arm around me, wouldn't let me go. To everybody starts showing up, and the lights were on, and, and we were having a meeting. And all I remember about that meeting was, this was in 1980, I don't remember what. And back then in Miami, everybody was doing gray sheet, except this one meeting. It was a big book meeting. And I kept asking, Where's, when, when do I get the diet? And they said, oh, we don't have one here right now. We'll bring it for you next week. Okay, so I came back the next week. Guess what? They forgot the diet again. Come back in the next week. Before I knew it, I had a sponsor who was working the program and losing weight. I never did see the diet. To this day, I still haven't. And when it came time to do the steps, especially third step, I knew how to make a change. And my third step was giving my life to God totally. And my life changed. And God opened the door for me to a small Christian liberal arts college in Bristol, Tennessee. And I called ahead to make sure before I accepted scholarship that there was a way there. Where there was until I got there. Then there wasn't any more meetings. And I tried going to an open AA meeting. Well, this was in the 80s. They didn't know what to do with a compulsive reader. I tried going to Al-Anon. Oh, and they were the sweetest ladies that were all there knitting and crocheting, waiting for their husbands and wanted to mother me. Didn't need that either. The only thing I remembered was that I needed to give up sugar. I couldn't eat sugar because I knew sugar was going to kill me. So in 1984, I gave up sugar and didn't pick it up again. But, you know, not eating sugar was the answer. Graduated from college, came to Jackson, Mississippi to go to seminary, met my angel of a wife, when trade we married 32 years, and literally she's my angel because she's been through the, everything with me. You know, I said the good, the bad, you guess what the bad was. Now I want to get to the We were married and uh, about 18 years ago. I was diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis, a very rare liver disease. I was given two months to live, but my wife made me promise I wouldn't go without taking her with me. Well, we don't do suicide, so I'm stuck. 
I'm not complaining about it, though. But I used that as an excuse. I used that that I was disabled as an excuse to eat. I wasn't eating sugar, but I was eating everything else under the sun. I ate to the point where I was 562 pounds. I no longer could walk. I was in a wheelchair. I needed help getting dressed, bathing, and everything else. And all I could think of was poor me to sit on the pity pot. But you know what? I wasn't fat. I was disabled. That was the lie I was telling myself. The whole world saw I was fat. I mean, I was 562 pounds. I was wearing 72 pants. If that's not fat, I don't know what qualifies. But in my mind, I was disabled. Well, when I started with this liver disease, one of the things they put me on was prednisone. And they told me, you know, one of these days you're gonna, it's going to make you become a diabetic. And I said, no, I'm not eating sugar. That's not going to happen. They said it would. Well, in March of 2022, I was given the gift of desperation. I ended up in the hospital. My blood sugar was over 500. My A1C was 11.5. And because of my liver disease, all they could put me on was insulin. And scared the daylights out of me. I saw my dad die from diabetes because he wouldn't take care of himself. I've seen too many other people die or lose limbs and go septic because they wouldn't take care of themselves. And I knew I needed to find help. And I knew the only thing that could really help was not a diet. It was OA. Fortunately, it was on Zoom. And I started going to meetings and became absent immediately. You know, I learned through this all that food for me was not a problem. Not at all. It was a solution. It numbed the pain. But it was a solution that was killing me one day at a time. One day at a time was killing me. You know, I'm in my 60s. I never thought I'd get a second chance, but I did. I'm no longer using a wheelchair. I use crutches only because my balance isn't so great yet. We're working on it. I got to do some physical therapy. Um, 279 pounds. Two more pounds that I'm going to call everybody I know and say, I'm half the man I was. Five minutes. No. Literally. Okay. And I have to tell you, the physical recovery, it's great. I love it. But you know what's even better? Emotional and spiritual. Because my, my world has opened up in ways I never thought possible. You know, all throughout the time I was overweight, I asked God to help me to lose weight. I don't know how many times. I'm a preacher. I'm praying is something I do. But you know what? I never asked God to help me to stop eating. Stop eating. I wanted to lose weight. I don't know. I thought maybe he was going to zap me skinny or something. Who knows? But I never asked to stop eating. And with the steps, I learned to put food down and to live with life without food as a crutch. Because not only does it numb the bad stuff, it numbs everything. And now I have a life again. And the 12 steps are really simple. 
You know, I like to describe the first three steps as something I heard in an open AA meeting. I can't, God can, and I'll think I'll let him. And actually, I try that in every part of my life. Because the reality is, God can't, I can't, and I have to let him. And then four through seven, basically, for me, is cleaning up the house. You know, it's like the house is a mess. you got to get the garbage together. Well, it's wonderful when it's all clean. But if you don't take the garbage out, you're not getting anywhere. And that's where eight and nine comes in. For me, it's taking out the trash. And 10 through 12 is just working it all over again. Working those steps every day. You know, I asked an old timer once, what's the secret to becoming an old timer? And I said, it's really simple. They said, what you need to do is be absent for today and don't die and do it again tomorrow. And for me, the key to this program is willingness, willingness to do what I have to do to, to change, willingness to put one foot in front of the other. No one says I have to like it. I just have to be willing. And I have to be ready to surrender. I can't do it. And I know the things that's going to keep me coming back is very simple. Going to meetings. I do 12 to 13 meetings a week. Uh, not everybody can do that. But you know what? When I go to those meetings, I'm not eating. My head's in a good place. And I'm with other people that have the same problem. And more important than anything else is that I do service. I used to hear service was slimming. I don't get that. But I do know service keeps me coming back. If I commit to be somewhere, I'm going to be there. If I commit to do service at this meeting for the next six months, you can guarantee, unless I'm at death's door, for the next six months I'll be there. I don't want to go into relapse. It's not a requirement. And the only way to avoid it is by keep coming back, being willing, surrendering during service, and working the steps. You know, I said this was the good, the bad, the ugly, and the miracle. The good was when I was a kid. The bad was what happened afterwards. The ugly was being 562 pounds. There's no way to make it pretty. But the miracle is coming back to program, being where I am today. This program works, and it's a program of miracles. All we have to do is keep showing up, be abstinent for today, and don't die and do it again tomorrow. And if you want a theme, the one I said in the beginning is a theme for sharing is hope. Hold on to the pain ends, because it does. And I think I'm supposed to share my name and phone number, uh, if you'd like. My phone that name is Alan K, uh, 601-942-6975. And I'm on Central Time. Um, if I can't call you, talk right then, I'll call you back, I promise. 
and not pass. 